Welcome to Freedom, Becoming Fully Alive. So glad you're here today. Is there an area of life in particular, is there a temptation that you're struggling with these days? Would you love to have that temptation become a non-issue in your life? I've got some good news for you. There is a way of escape. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray your blessing on our time. We thank you for each one that's here. I pray that our hearts will be seeking, our hearts will be open, our hearts will be hungry. And Lord, that if there's any sense of hopelessness and despair, thinking, well, I've tried certain things in the past and it hasn't worked, and I don't know if this will make any difference, Lord, I pray that you will, dis you will dispel the clouds of depression and discouragement here today and flood our hearts with hope, hope that comes from you, Lord. And that the good news will flow, Lord. The good news will flow from your heart here today about temptation and the great escape that you provide. Thank you, Lord, for this time and for everyone here. I pray your blessing on each one. In Jesus' name, amen. So glad you're here. So glad you've joined us in this series. I see some new faces here today. We've been going along in this Freedom Series. It has three parts. This is part three winning the war for your heart. Let's have a brief review as we started this part a few weeks ago. Session one of this part was tearing down strongholds. In that particular session, we talked about the fact that we are in a war. We are in a war, and the battle, the fight, is for our hearts. But some good news. Our hearts are treasures. They aren't trouble. They used to be trouble, now they're a treasure because of who lives in us, the pearl of great price. Our hearts are treasures now because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. So a treasure, a treasure is worth fighting for. And then in session two, we talked about putting on the armor of God. And to personalize that, the armor of God is Jesus Christ himself. He is the armor of God. He is our salvation, the helmet of salvation. He is our righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. He is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. He is our readiness. We've got, we put on our sandals, put our shoes on. He is our readiness. So we need to have our battle attire on, put on Christ. And a key component, this battle isn't our battle. It is not our little personal battle, or our big personal battle as the case may be. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give us the victory. And then, in session three, taking every thought captive. We talked about being battle-ready. We talked about having a thought life, a mindset that we would be battle-ready all the time. Taking every thought captive and making it obey our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. Rejecting all rejection, rejecting victim thinking, rejecting orphan thinking, rejecting stinking thinking but taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And here we are today. Here we are today, session number four, escaping temptation. I pray that the Lord speaks to our hearts in a deep and personal way, and that we leave here today with truth and perspective and the power to walk in what you're going to hear today. Escaping temptation. One of our theme verses today, probably the theme verse, is 1 Corinthians 10.13. It's on the cover of your material, and it's right inside on the first page of the outline. It says, no temptation, 
no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear under it, bear up under it. Well, what does it mean to be tempted? Some definitions for us to consider, starting with the word tempt, meaning to try the strength of, to urge, to test, to try, to try to persuade, induce, or entice, to rouse a desire in, to be inviting to, attract, to incline strongly. So we see in a beginning way that it isn't just an enticing kind of a temptation, but a temptation can be a test. Are you going through a test right now? How are you responding to the test? Or are you being enticed, tempted in an enticing, seductive sort of way? It could be a combination of two as well. Temptation, the proposition presented to the mind or to the intellect to satisfy a God-given appetite in a non-God-approved way. Another way to say that is a proposition, a presentation to our minds and hearts that would offer to give us meaning, purpose, identity, apart from or in addition to Jesus Christ, who he is and who he wants to be in our life. And of course, sin, sin is a decision to gratify that God-given appetite in a non-God-approved way. Temptation isn't sin. Sin isn't temptation. But for, in order for us to understand what a temptation really is, we need to look at things in terms of at the end. Look to the end and then come back from the end. If the end is that I yield to, I yield my members to, I yield my mind, I yield my heart, I yield to the proposition, the opportunity, the temptation, the enticement, the seduction to satisfy a God-given appetite in a non-God-approved way or the proposition to find meaning, purpose, and identity apart from Jesus Christ. We see that is the temptation. We don't have to give in to it. Sometimes we feel guilty for even being tempted. That's why I asked you the question in the beginning. Would you love for the temptation that you're struggling with, that's coming on the radar screen of your consciousness, would you love that to become a non-issue? You may still be tempted. It may still come on your radar screen in the future. But would you love it to have no power over you? Would you love for it to be a non-issue? I know what it's like not to be free. I know what it's like not to be free from rejection. I struggled with it for years. It was on my radar screen. I had surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. I was born again of the Spirit of God, filled with His Holy Spirit, willing to obey Him no matter what the cost. But the proposition kept coming on my radar screen and it was trying to pull me down and it felt like dragging, dragging around a ball and chain at times. It was not a non-issue. I was free in Christ positionally, but I wasn't free-free. I stand before you today, free-free, non-issue, non-issue. I know what it's like not to be free-free. I know what it's like to be free-free, and I like being free-free, and I want you to be free-free, and I want you to be convinced you can be. 
but it doesn't mean setting a standard that whatever it is that you're struggling with will never appear on your radar screen again. Don't set that as a standard. That will be one of the enemy's traps. We'll read this in more detail in just a moment, but the temptation of Jesus comes to mind. You'll recall 40 days in the wilderness. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, Jesus was tempted after 40 days in the wilderness. And we'll talk about this in just a minute, but do you recall from that account that the enemy kept challenging him, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, change these stones into bread. If you're the son of God, jump off this high place and the Lord will give his angels charge over you. That's part of, part of what the enemy is up to as far as his challenge of us, his challenge of us. And then you'll notice in that account, and we'll read it in a few moments, but then he goes on, and then he doesn't say, if you're the son of God, then he just says, I want to show you all this. I want to show you or tell you that it's mine, but I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you if you bow down and worship me. He might as well have been saying, I don't know, are you sure you're the son of God? Are you sure you are who you are? You say you are. Are you sure your father is going to take care of you? Are you sure? He just bypassed that and he offered a shortcut. In other words, let's just bypass the cross here and I'll just give you all of this because it's, it's for me to give. We'll look at that more closely, but it tells me that the great challenge of, enemy, of the enemy is going to be to challenge God to challenge the goodness of God and to challenge who you are. And even going back to the Garden of Eden, when the serpent came to Eve, the serpent said, could it be that God has said that you cannot eat of any tree of the garden? Which was a twist. God didn't say that. He said you could eat of every tree of the garden except one. But then the enemy, after Eve had answered, if we eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil will die. And then the enemy went from, could it be, could it be, to you will not die. For the day in which you eat of this, your eyes will be open and you'll be as God, knowing good and evil. So the enemy is in the habit. Part of his strategy is to bring into question the goodness of God, the character of God, and the confidence that God will take care of you and that he wants to take care of you. And then, and then the enemy will also bring into question, who are you? But we know why Jesus was able to withstand the temptation. He answered with the word of God every time, on every account, on all three temptations. He responded, he says, thou shall not eat, live by bread alone, to the first temptation. And then he went on and said, thou shall not put the Lord to a foolish test. I'm not going to jump off this high tower and, and put the Lord to a foolish test that he'll give his angels charge over me. I know he will, but that's not the issue, Satan. That doesn't, that's not relevant here. I'm not going to put the Lord to a foolish test, and I'm not going to bow down and worship you because the word of God says to worship the only true God and him only, not you. Jesus knew who he was and who he is right now. He's alive. When he came to planet Earth, he knew who he was. He knew why he was here. He came to do the will of the Father. He was immovable. If I can say it this way, the temptations were a non-issue. And so it will be. So it will be. That's a hint for us as we step into that 
That's a hint, a beginning hint for us. If you want to enter into a place of divine immunity, so to speak, where temptations may be on your radar screen, but they become a non-issue, it's so important that we know who we are, that we're totally confident, confident in our Father and who He is and who He says He is, and that He says He'll take care of us, and we're convinced He will. He's good. He can only do us good. No matter what he allows, no matter how painful, he wants to use it for good. So we're confident in him. We know who we are, and we know how to interpret what comes on the radar screen of temptation. We're going to talk about that more today. Well, there are zones of temptation that we could talk about today, and I think it's an important picture to paint in that regard. Because one thing to keep in mind, as we move through these zones of temptation, it's so important that we properly interpret what's on our radar screen, really what's going on in temptation, with temptation. Because the further you go down the street of temptation, kind of play with it, visit the scenes of temptation, kind of ignore it, think you can overcome it, think you can handle it, the further you go down that street, the harder it will be to turn around. And we will see that more clearly in a moment. Well, we know the enemy is a thief. We know he is the one really behind temptation. He was the one who was the presenter of the first temptation in the Garden of Eden, and he is the one, the diabolical liar, thief that he is, that is really the author of, he's behind, ultimately behind, what temptation is all about. But let's take a look at James, the first chapter. It's in your outline, James 1, 13 through 15. It says, I'll read from the um, New American Standard Version, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. What, what does that mean? Well, lust, the, the definition of lust, and so often our minds go immediately to sexual lust when we say lust, but it isn't limited to that. Lust is strong desire. The core definition of lust is strong desire and if we were to apply it to this session today, strong desire to satisfy a God-given appetite in a non-God-approved way. What are these appetites that I've mentioned? Appetite for food, appetite for sex, for knowledge, for pleasure, for significance. We want our lives to count. We, we want to make a difference on planet Earth. These are God-given appetites. These aren't sinful in and of themselves. It's not sinful to eat. But the Bible says, the Bible does address gluttony. It's not sinful to have sex. But outside marriage, outside of the covenant of marriage, it is not according to God's design, and it would be sin. It's not sinful to know something. But it's so easy for knowledge to puff up. And we're more interested in what we know and uh, things being rightly said, rightly believed, and rightly understood, and actually putting that more important than relationship with God and with one another. The Pharisees were guilty of that. Oh, they were into the knowledge thing, weren't they? But they missed the person. 
When the person showed up, they didn't, they didn't embrace the person. They were envious of him. They were jealous of him. But they had their law, didn't they? Well, we don't throw the law out. That's not my point. But what's our motivation for obeying? Love or duty and pride? And look at me. I'm doing it rightly. At least I think I am. Significance is so key. The, the appetite for significance is, is I, I really believe, is, is at the heart. Because when this appetite for significance, who we are, meaning, purpose, and identity, if that's not being satisfied, we not only look to get that satisfied in non-God-approved ways, but I believe it actually heightens, it actually heightens our appetites for these other things. Because it's like there's a void there, there's a vacuum there, and, and we want to fill it. So in some cases, we fill it with food, we fill it with sex, we fill it with knowledge, we fill it with pleasure. But we want to fill it, we want to fill this appetite. Now, what happened at the fall of man in the Garden of Eden when man sinned? That, that will really help us here understand the significance of this. Because when man sinned, keep in mind, before man sinned, we see a picture of the intimacy that existed in Genesis 2.25, Adam and Eve, naked and not ashamed. No shame, no guilt, no cover-up, no blame game, no fear, free, free, free. And then they sinned. And what happened after they sinned? Cover-up. Blame game. This woman you gave me. This serpent that beguiled me. Fear. Fast forward to chapter 4 of Genesis. Cain and Abel, offerings offered up to God. Cain's is not acceptable. Cain gets angry. Cain gets depressed. Cain commits murder. Things went downhill in a hurry, didn't they? From the fall of man to the first murder. But when man fell, what happened? Our minds became darkened. Our wills became weakened. And our appetites became inflamed. And so it is as we live our life we put ourselves in positions for things to get inflamed. We awaken things in us before it's time. We awaken sexual appetites in us before it's time. We awaken those things before marriage. We awaken things that are contrary to God's design. It's a lack of self-control, but it's all a part of seeking to satisfy our appetites and willing to do it in a non-God-approved way. And to do so is sin rather than being satisfied with him and who we are in him and really knowing who we are in him. Well, as we go through the zones of temptation, the A zone, and you have a chart in your outline, the A zone is the awareness zone. Be aware of these God-given appetites. And we'll talk more about putting those appetites in perspective as we go along. Be aware of the flesh. What does the flesh mean? Maybe that's a new word, new terminology for you today. And you think, what, what in the world is flesh? Are we talking about my flesh and blood here? We're talking about an inner inclination because of the fall. We could, we could say that the new man, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new man is still a human. And in, 
in some cases, we've got a lot of grooves in our thinking, our patterns of life, our belief systems, our inner inclinations, because we are still fallen humanity indwelt by the living God. The truest thing about us is Christ in us, the hope of glory. The temporary part of us, temporary, underlying temporary, it's not who we are at the core. It is not the truest thing about us. It is not the eternal us, but we are surrounded by it and housed in it temporarily here on planet Earth, and it's called the flesh. It says in Galatians 2.20, be crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ, rather. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, what I've just been talking about, I live by faith, not in the flesh, not what's on my radar screen, but in the one who loved me and deli delivered himself up for me. That's, I'm going to let him define me. Are we letting our temptations define us? Are we letting circumstances define us? Are we allowing the whisperings of the evil one define us? Or are we allowing our Father in heaven, the word of God, define us. So the flesh is the inner inclination to satisfy God-given appetites in a non-God-approved way. Sounds like temptation, doesn't it? Sounds like we've got a built-in temptation factor, don't we? But it's not a curse. Don't think of it, don't think of it in and of itself as a curse because we aren't a curse. He, Jesus, became the curse so that we could be free. So see this. See, I, I pray that you'll see this today. I'm going to step into this, and I'll unpack it as we go along. See temptation not as your enemy today, but begin to see temptation as your friend. It's your friend because you'll have more opportunities to respond. You'll have more opportunities to renew your mind. You'll have more opportunities to exercise your faith muscles. You'll have more opportunities to embrace who you are in Christ. We're going to get a lot of practice. But we tend to fight against ourselves, don't we? We think, oh, I'm tempted again. And then we get upset that we're even tempted. And we turn against ourselves. We get discouraged. And in some cases, we give up. Or we, it takes the edge off our, our resolve. It takes the edge off of our, our faithfulness. It takes the edge off of keeping our eyes on the Lord because we get our eyes on ourselves again, which is really a type of pride. Thinking too highly, thinking too lowly, thinking too much, it's all pride if we're always on our mind. And then the Heidelberg Catechism is helpful, I believe, which is a rendering of Romans 6.6, 6, where it says, the old man is crucified and buried with him. The old nature, the old Steve, the old Steve is dead. I am so glad the old Steve is dead. The one that was insanely jealous, physically abusive, emotionally abusive, totally wrong. He's dead. Aren't you glad he's dead? Honey, are you glad he's dead? And God is glad, you know, it was her prayer that I would either leave, die, or God would kill me. He did. <laughs> he did kill me. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So the old Steve is dead. So what we're still living with is not the old man, because the old man has to do with your spiritual condition. And you can't be in two kingdoms at one time. We're either in the kingdom of darkness or in the kingdom of God's son of love. We're not spiritual schizophrenics. We're either outside of Christ or in Christ, separated from him or in union with him. You can't have it both ways. But that's how man has tried to explain sin. Well, the old man is just sticking his head up from the grave again. Now get down there. No. The old spiritual condition is gone. We're a new creation, but we still live in an earth suit. We still live in a fallen world. We still have a battle in the heavenlies. We're still in a war zone, but don't fight it. Don't fight it. 
We just need to see how to properly interpret it, have it work for our good, and actually for our benefit if we see things from God's point of view. So, the old man dead. Therefore, I have a basis, a faith foundation to stand on that the flesh is not who I am. Christ in me is who I am. Beware of the enemy's schemes. He is a devil. He is prowling around like a roaring lion, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Again, uh, as it says in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus knew who he was. He knew the truth. He knew who he was, his identity, and he came to do the will of the Father. He was not a victim. I was at Parables Bookstore yesterday, and I noticed that the Passion of the Christ movie is going to be out at the end of August. I'd like to get that, see it again. I've seen it four times. I'd like to see it again. I love that rendering. I love that picture. It's a movie, but I love how it points to the Word of God. And I'm just reminded again and again and again, Jesus was, he was mocked and reviled. He was beaten all the way to Calvary, but they did not drag him onto that cross. They didn't make him, he didn't wrestle and say, you can't do this, I don't want to do this. He didn't call the legions of angels. He could have called and said, I'm gonna, I've had it, I'm done, you're done. I can't stand this mocking and reviling anymore. This gambling is over the edge. You're done, you're done. You're all going to hell today. You're all going to the lake of fire today. I'm, you're done. No. He knew who he was. He knew why he was here. He came to do the will of the Father. He wasn't a victim. We've got to get the victim thinking out of us because we get our eyes on people that are doing things that we don't like, and we blame them. And we even blame them for how they affect others. And we think, if you'd quit affecting that person, if you'd change, then they wouldn't be bothered. And we take up an offense and we try to control life. Some of it is the righteousness of God rising up in us, true. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, if we don't guard our hearts above all things, it'll go into a spiritual pride. We've got to guard our hearts. Well, you remember the message of the arrows for those of you that were in part two. The arrow of pride, the arrow of shame, the arrow of fear, the arrow of rejection, the arrow of anger, the arrow of depression, the enemy. The enemy wants us to believe the message of the arrows. That's key to this whole temptation message of his. And that is, simply summarized, pride is, is all about you always on your mind. That's what the enemy wants. He wants you always on your mind. If, if he can get us thinking about ourselves all the time and so that we are always on our mind, then our mind isn't on Christ and it isn't on others. And he wants us to um, believe the message of shame, the arrow of shame, that we're the sum total of our life's experiences or some part thereof, seeking to define us but not letting the Lord define us. And then fear, that question, will God come through? Is he who he says he is? Does he want to come through? His word says he will, but does he really want to? He loves you out of duty, doesn't he? He doesn't like you, though, does he? I mean, he's stuck with you now. He's God. What is he going to do? He can't lie, but what's he really doesn't want to? Fear, rejection, which gets into that orphan thinking and the survivor mentality. And who do, or who do orphans trust? They don't trust authority. Who do survivors trust? They don't trust anybody but themselves. And that's what Satan wants. He doesn't want us trusting God. He doesn't want us believing in the goodness of God. He's challenging the goodness of God, and he has from the beginning. And then anger. Oh, he wants us to get into Sanders' studies. Now that we're Christians, right? We've got a little truth, right? And we know what, what's right. So then we'll set these standards for others. 
and then they won't do it. And then I'll be so angry. I'll be so filled with indignation that righteousness will rise up in me. I'll think I'm justified, won't I? Oh, he loves it. He loves it. That standard setting and demanding others to obey our standards. And if we're not depressed by then, if we're not depressed by then, he'll try to feed our thinking and get us to hope in anything and everything but God. Especially if he get us to trust in ourselves. Now that is really hopeless, isn't it? But of course the antidote, Psalm 42.5. Why so downcast, O my soul? <laughs> Put your hope in God. So we must be prepared. We must be alert. We must be self-controlled. And we must avoid the season. How are we doing so far? I want to push the pause button here and have you consider what we've talked about so far in light of the temptation you've been struggling with. We must avoid the C zone. It says in James 1.14, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. This is the pivotal point. Will we yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin at that point? Again, as we go along in these zones, we must realize that the paths that we take are important. You know, there's a lot of construction going on around town right now. And um, yesterday, we were on our way to Parables, and we were going down 114th Street from Pacific, South, Pacific North to Dodge, and there was, the road was closed, et cetera. So we had to go around 120th, go around to 120th and, and uh, take a different route. Well, you would have thought that I would have remembered that, but when we left Parables, there I went out 114th again, heading south this time, and ran into the same thing again and had to take a detour through the neighborhood. Beautiful neighborhood. It was a scenic route. I was with my wife. It was a win-win situation. No problem. But it reminds me of what we do in life, is that we keep doing the same thing, sometimes expecting different results. And some of us are kind of adventurous, you know, and we see these blockades, and, and you know, the roads, you know, where it says the road is closed, but we think, well, it doesn't look like they're doing anything. Uh, it doesn't look like there's any construction. I mean, it looks like I could drive on it, and they must be starting Monday. So we go around, we go around the fence, we go around the, the barricade, and we might run into something we're not counting on, right? What if we fell into a sinkhole? And then we had to call somebody, get us towed out, and, and uh, get out of there and move on our way. But what if we were faced with the same thing shortly thereafter? within a week or two after that. And we say, well, again, it doesn't look like there's a problem here. I mean, it looks like I could get around. I, I'm sure I'll not, I won't get stuck this time. We do the same thing, get stuck again. Could it be that what God's up to is, why don't you take a different route? Why don't you take a different route? There's a different way here. And I pray that's part of what you'll see here today is that you've, you, we've struggled and struggled perhaps with a, with, with a temptation. And, and we're just not getting victory over it, at least by our standard of what ought to be happening. We, we don't think we're free, but we keep approaching it the same way. Could it be that God's got a different approach in mind? I think he does. Welcome to freedom, becoming fully alive. I think he does. Well, as we move on to the sea zone, heaven forbid, we see there that lust takes root, where temptation gives way to sin. 
where it says in James 1.15, when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. So it's one thing to have it on our radar screen, but you don't have to obey it. You don't have to submit to it. You don't have to allow it to define you. Could it be, could it be, would it be possible? I really believe it can be with integrity because it's really a faith transaction. It's not mind over matter. It's not denial. Is it possible to enter into a lifestyle that when something comes on your radar screen where you're tempted, and, and by the way, what are some temptations that are common to us? Gossip, jealousy, envy, insecurity, rejection, fear, sexual lust, anger, food, drink. When these things come on our radar screen as propositions, as desires that represent something positive or it wouldn't have any appeal to it. It must have some draw, right? It, may, it must have some at least perceived power over us. Well, could it be, is it possible to enter into a lifestyle that when those appear on our radar screen, we immediately know what's going on and we know that's not, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. That Jesus, Jesus is not immoral and he's my life. But we're so grooved, we're so grooved in thinking we so identify with our history. So with some who have struggled with sexual lust or whatever, and uh, here you're struggling again, and you've really tried to change, you've gotten help, you've uh, resolved some of the issues of your heart, forgiving your dad, the arrow of rejection is out, and it, it seems to be a lessening issue. But then you're tempted today. Only you and the Lord know, but you're tempted. And it feels so shaming. It feels so discouraging if we identify with the temptation if we believe into it as opposed to that's on my radar screen but it's not who I am there is no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus but we allow even our temptations to define us and then once we allow that then we, we already feel defeated and then we give in to it, and then we do it, and then we are doubly condemned in our feelings, doubly discouraged, and think, will I ever be able to be free from this? Whether it's gossip, jealousy, envy, rejection, fear, sexual lust, anger, resentment, unforgiveness, struggling with somebody in our heart attitudinally, food, drink, whatever the case may be. Well, if we yield, there's a price to pay, is we yield. And it doesn't mean we're going to necessarily drop over dead today physically. That is not the point of, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. I mean, in the truest sense, uh, a person outside of Christ, one who's never repented and believed, one who dies in that condition will be, will be eternally separated from God eternal death. But death doesn't mean ceasing to exist. Death means separation. So when we're dead in our sins, we're separated from God. When we yield to sin, it has a separating effect on our fellowship with God. And you know that from the guilt that we feel and the shame that we feel and the distance that we feel with God when we feel guilty. Whether it's real guilt because of real sin or whether it's false guilt, and has no foundation, but we still feel guilty. Maybe because of a sin committed against us and we feel guilty. Or a sin that we've repented of that we have not received. The gift of forgiveness. But we still feel guilty. It has a separating effect. Oh yes, it can lead to physical death. Oh yes, even worse, 
eternal separation from God. But I'm talking about here we are. Here we are, sons and daughters of the Most High, wanting to please our Father. And that's part of, what, that's part of the enemy's strategy, too. Because he looks on a group like this and he thinks, they're really serious. They're conscientious. They want to obey. I know what I'm going to do with them. I'm going to get them to identify with everything that comes on their radar screen because they'll think if it's on their radar screen, that's what they really want. Or it wouldn't be on their radar screen of their consciousness. I'll get them to believe in all of that clutter on their radar screen because then they'll feel defeated. They'll think it's overwhelming. How could I ever be free? I'll get them focused on themselves, focused on their temptation, and that'll keep their eyes off of God. That is great. That's my strategy. He is a liar, a thief. If we're already in the kingdom, if destination is already heaven, what does he want to do? Rob us, rob us, steal from us every step of the way while we're here and have us live defeated lives where we feel like we're on the shelf. It can never be useful to God. And for a believer, we have this appetite for, for, for significance. If you think you're on the shelf and of no use to God, what could be worse for a son or daughter? Because we want to make a difference. We want to make a difference. But if we feel disqualified, we're going to feel defeated in that. Well, I've got some good news. I've already shared a little bit, but I'll tell you more. I'll share more. I've got some good news. There is a way of escape. There's a worksheet in your material today, and let's walk through that. And you can spend the time between now and next week and go through this and personalize this even more clearly. It looks similar to a worksheet that we've uh, presented to you in the past, Processing the Issues of the Heart that has to do with forgiveness. But this is entitled Temptation and the Great Escape. So it starts with the discovery steps. Identify the temptation. What temptation is common to you? And there's a sheet on the back of your outline today. It's stapled on. If you'll go ahead and just pull it off the back right now, because I want you to have this in front of you as we go along, as we continue to go along, because I would like you, when you're ready, to write down the temptation, the main one, the biggie, if you will. There may be more than one, but the one that is coming to you, your mind and heart today that you've been struggling with, that answers the question, what is on your radar screen or what temptation is common to you? Is it gossip? Is it jealousy? Is it pride? Is it anger? Is it unforgiveness? Is it an issue with food or drink? You know. You know what it is. You know what the struggle is. Is it sexual lust? Is it a lust for something else? Power, prestige, status? You know. Is it, is it thinking that you're struggling with? And you don't, want, you don't want to be guilty of this small thinking. You don't want to be guilty of this petty thinking. Well, that's going to be tied to insecurity and rejection and orphan thinking, if you will. But you don't want it. You don't want it. We're not orphans. We're not hired hands. We're sons and daughters. And our Father wants to take care of us. He wants to convince us. We're not on our own. 
So what is the temptation common to you? What are the buttons or the triggers and the scenes of those temptations? How does that temptation usually present itself? Is it when you're around certain people and certain conversations or when certain things happen in a relationship? I can think for years and years I struggled with insecurity and rejection. And I can think of times over the years where I would look to Pastor Murdoch, and he and I have talked about this, so I'm not violating any confidence. And some of you have heard me say this before anyway, so it's not a new issue with you. But I had a father wound earlier in my life, and I looked to my wife to satisfy that, to get significance from her. Well, all of that was used to bring me to the Lord, but now in the Lord I still had this arrow. I still had this arrow of rejection in me. So as a part of my process of becoming fully alive, if you will, I looked at Pastor Murdoch for a long season to be the father that I never had in terms of the one I had a father, but he didn't convince me he liked me. It was like he loved me out of duty. I wasn't convinced he liked me because he didn't invest. So I wanted to be special. I wanted, I wanted to, to hear, you've got what it takes. I mean, you're significant. You're special. And here I was. I loved the Lord. I'd obey him no matter what the cost. So it wasn't like it was all about me, but I, I desired that from a father. And I never, I did not receive that from my earthly father. So didn't get it from my wife. Got it from the Lord in a beginning way. Drove my wife to the Lord in the process. Her changed life won me. Thank you, Lord. You're good. You're wonderful. He uses all things together for good for those who love God. He has and he will continue to do so. But then for a season, I looked to Pastor Murdoch. And the scenes, the buttons of temptation would just pop up unexpectedly. Everything would be going along great. And then Pastor would say something that uh, affected me, wounded me, offended me. Or he, I felt like he was not giving me the attention or the valuing that I was looking for from him. And, and there it was again. And I thought, I don't want to have these thoughts. I don't want to feel this way. Apparently, I, I don't have as much of a revelation of who I am in Christ as a son that I thought. Here I am counseling people and leading them into that revelation, and here I am struggling. I don't like this. I don't want to struggle with this. I want it to be a non-issue. I saw the pride of it too much of thinking about myself. I saw the idolatry of it, having pastor in a place that only God deserved. I repented. I wanted to obey God. I was fully engaged. I didn't want this. I was not taking it lightly at all. But I had those moments. There were the buttons, the triggers, and the scenes of temptation that came up that communicated to me a lack of significance. The theme was not feeling valued not feeling valued. And my response was usually I tried to settle it between the Lord and me. I would uh, process the issues of my heart with Mindy and I tried not to leak here, you know, so kept my poise. Focus on the Lord. Step over it. Step over it. Step over it. But it was still on my radar screen. So how do you respond? How have you tried to resist? Oh, yes, I renewed my mind and who I was in Christ. I took every opportunity to allow these temptations to be a springboard, to focus in on who he says I was, and all of that worked together for good. All of that served me well. That was all part of the process, but I still wasn't free-free. 
And then, before I go on to the action steps, let me just touch on the snares of temptation. Fortunately, I did not go down the street of, uh, of the snares, but it's so easy to do so because that will not be a part of the solution. The snares are many. So we need to, ask the, we need to ask, answer the question, which of these biblical mandates have you violated in relationship to temptation? In other words, it says, make not provision for the flesh. It wouldn't have helped me to dwell on this. It wouldn't have helped me to get with other people that I knew were struggling with Pastor Murdoch and commiserate with what they didn't like that wouldn't have fed the right thing in me, would it? I mean, I did share with Mindy. I mean, I processed with her, but it was all redemptive. I wanted to obey the Lord. The idea wasn't to put him down. The idea was I want to be free. But I could have potentially found some uh, vessels of discontent in our midst who would have fed the wrong thing in me, fed my flesh. You see what I mean? And taken up an offense for me. There's certain people I probably could have mentioned it to, and they would have taken up an offense for me. That wouldn't have helped me. That would have been visiting the scenes of temptation, making provision for the flesh. So I had to abstain from all of that, not go down that path, not go that way. I had to flee that, and I did, <clears throat> guarding my heart, wanting the Lord to be my life, wanting the revelation of that. And then when it comes to the action steps, Exercise your will. <clears throat> Decide now what your choice will be in the face of temptation. That's not mind over matter. That's not willpower. But we can't expect, when it comes to this whole area of temptation and what's on your radar screen, we can't expect to, to just wing it and, and hope for the best when, when things pop up again. We, we've, got to, we've got to make some decisions now. <clears throat> and when it came to uh, in the area of sexual intimacy uh, with our children. Uh, it was very common for me as a part of our, uh, our raising our kids is that uh, one of the things I went over with them in, in terms of uh, trying to make provision for Justin, Josh, and Joy to, to be pure and holy in their relationships. And, and when they got married, that, they would, that they'd be a virgin. I was not. I was not. I was guilty. But I was wrong. Mindy was, I was not, and I wanted our kids to be because that was obeying God. That was God's design. So I would visit with them, and I would ask them, are you being tempted? Is there anything coming on your radar screen? And uh, make it easy. And, and I said, we need to decide now where the line is. You know, because when you go out with somebody of the opposite sex, <clears throat> if you haven't decided where the line is, it could sneak up on you real quick. In other words, if you've decided that the line is I'm not going to have sexual intercourse. I'm not going to have sexual intercourse. But everything up to that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just see. That's not going to work. The line has to be far before then. So we have to decide now how we're going to respond then. We're going to have to decide in terms of anything beyond kissing. And even what is the purpose of kissing even? Using them just because you like to kiss? Or... What's going on? What kind of message are we sending, even with a kiss? Not to mention other things that go beyond that that could awaken what God doesn't want awakened before it's time. Decide now so you don't awaken something that is uh, 
more than what you bargained for. So exercise your will. Walk in the spirit, yes to God. So often we approach things from the standpoint of no, 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 as opposed to yes to the divine yes. And then what's the byproduct? It displaces. It displaces the temptation in some cases. That was one of the points that um, came out in The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, if you read that. It's the principle of displacement. We, we focus on changing a behavior, or in this case, eliminating a temptation. But if your focus is on eliminating the temptation, you could actually empower it. Our focus needs to be on the Lord, walking after the Spirit, and displace it, not empower it. <clears throat> and then there's the exchange of life. Repent of all known sin, thought, word, or deed. Exchange the self-life for his life. And then you've already heard me say, renewing our minds and taking those opportunities in the face of temptation to allow that to be a springboard to renew our minds on what is true. In other words, what's on this radar screen is not the truest thing about me. Oh, yes, it may refer to the history. Maybe I've had a history with that same temptation. And maybe my history is included. I have failed a lot. And then what the enemy wants to say is, look at your history. You're tempted now. You really want to do it. Who are you kidding? And if you give into it on that basis, then you'll feel defeated. But you, in many cases, could feel defeated before you even give in. Because if you set a standard that I shouldn't even feel this way, I shouldn't even have this temptation. But do we understand? Do we understand that we are eternal beings, born again of the Spirit of God, eternal beings housed in temporary flesh? One day we'll have new glorified bodies, but that is not today. We are spiritual beings temporarily housed in earth suits, if you will. They're not illusions. They are real. Patterns, habits, mindsets, etc. We're surrounded by, that's why, that's why what we're talking about in freedom is so important. Taking every thought captive, tearing down strongholds, part two of freedom, getting the arrows out, making provision for this orphan thinking, the message of the arrows to be rightly defined and rightly identified. And we have the truth and perspective of knowing as we are going through life and these things come on our radar screen. Is this the truth? I remember um, Jim Flowers, Channel 6 News. In the springtime, a lot of storms, you know. And he'll sometimes say, you know, radar seems to show that there's precipitation coming. But it isn't. These are ground echoes. Have you got some ground echoes in your life? Oh, yeah, it's real. Your history is real. But does that mean that's who you are? And how about if you're flying along in a, as a pilot and you've got the radar and there's a little tilt knob. If you, you go along as a pilot and if the radar is pointed down toward a big city, for example, what's showing on your radar screen should, could look like storms. It, look, it could look like a storm cell. So we need to take a look at that and make sure. Adjust the knob. Set our eyes on things above where our life is hidden in Christ according to Colossians 3. Not on things below, for Christ is our life. Adjust, adjust the tilt knob. Is our radar focused on reality, capital R, as God defines it? His truth, his perspective, his conclusion, his conclusion? Adjust the knob. Set your eyes on things above. 
Agree with God. That's humility. Agree with God. Well, how about this temptation? How about this struggle? How about this history? What if, what if, no matter what I do today, what if I'm tempted again? I don't want to be tempted anymore. I want it to go away. Don't set that as a standard. I stand before you today, not as one who doesn't have anything on my radar screen, but I stand before you today as one who can say it has no power over me. It absolutely, I mean, by God's mercy and grace, non-issue, non-issue. And one of the key pieces is this. The progression that I've shared with you today is such a key progression. Leading up to, out of confidence, out of confidence, submitting to God, resisting the devil, and he must flee. He must flee. Jesus was confident. He knew who he was. He knew who he's, whose he was. He knew why he was here. And he told, in, in the Matthew account, Satan be gone. Can we say that with confidence? Probably not, if we're identifying with what's on our radar screen as our identity. It's like, oh, I feel defeated. There's that lust again. Man alive, the history is there. I'm not really free until I've got a clean track record for five years, and, and then I'm not free. I'm just recovering. I'm just a recovering alcoholic. I'm just a recovering sexaholic. I'm just a recovering gossip. No, if we're in Christ, that's the truest thing about us. History gets swallowed up in his history, in his story, his life, his identity. Well, how about this temporary part of us then? Let it be your friend. Don't fight against it. Let it give you all kinds of opportunities. Don't, 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 don't visit the scenes of temptation. Don't awaken what, needs to be, uh, what should not be awakened. Don't be foolish. Don't put God to a foolish test. But we live in a fallen world. Our earth suits are going to be an occasion for the enemy to come along and play on the piano keys of our appetites. And he'll want us to listen to the song that he's playing. But don't listen to it. Let it be an occasion to say, OK, I've got a fresh start opportunity to listen to you, God. And no matter how, how, many, how many times I failed, it's never too late a fresh start. You love a fresh start, Lord. <laughs> but it's a fresh start that leads to freedom. And my goal is not to be tempted. My goal is not to be sin-free. My goal is to love you with all my heart, glorify you ever increasingly, not take my spiritual pulse all the time. How am I doing? Oh, I'm a pretty good Christian. No! Sons! Daughters! In a war! A war for our hearts! But we've got a lot to be confident about brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. And I want to give you an opportunity. <laughs> I want to give you an opportunity today to respond. Take your radar screen. Take your radar screen. If you haven't done this already, I'd like you to write on here the temptation that is common to you. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come to the cross because the cross is the place of death or separation. So I'm going to ask you to take whatever you've written. And I'm not going to read through these later, by the way. So, you know, this is between you and God. You can wad it up, tear it up. You can do what you want. You can throw it as hard as you can at the foot of the cross, whatever you want to do. But death means separation. Separate it from you. It is not who you are. But it may be in the future on your radar screen again. When it is, the next time it is, I want you to remember something. It's not who I am. 
It's trying to accuse me. It's trying to define me. But Lord, it's actually my friend. I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not talking about putting God to a foolish test, but it's kind of like the idea of temptation or being tempted is a non-issue because it just gives you an opportunity to renew your mind all the more on who you are. And with that, with that, you're agreeing that God is good. He can only do you good. And he's allowing it, no matter how it feels, it's going to be for your good. And the one who wants to define us also wants to refine us in one of his most common needful ways of refining us is through temptation. <laughs> let him define you. Let him refine you. Don't set a standard for yourself. Don't fight against temptation. Embrace who you are in Christ. A son, a daughter. Not sinless. That's not even the goal. Blameless. Blameless because of the life of Christ in us. That's the issue. Blameless because of the blood of the Lamb. Forgiven. God has only one kind of son or daughter. Forgiven sons or daughters. Forgiven sons or daughters. Redeemed, bought, paid for, imperfect. That's not an issue with him. He's in the process of molding and shaping us into his image and causing us to become fully alive for his glory. That's what freedom is all about. Fresh start to freedom. That's a fresh start with a purpose. Freedom not for freedom's sake, but becoming fully alive and glorifying him. Giving the world, giving, I mean, not just look at me, but it's, it's look at him. Look at him. Look what he can do. Look what he can do with us. We are reminders of his love. We are reminders of amazing grace. It's good, it's good, it's good. Receive, receive, receive. Agree, agree, agree. Write down the temptation. Nail it to the cross. Separate yourself from it. Separate yourself from the false belief that you've had about yourself. And as you leave here today, you'll never, be, you'll never respond the same to temptation. Temptation will no longer be your enemy. Temptation will be your friend that will remind you, and you'll be able to agree with God again. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We love you. Add the increase, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.